Welcome to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We are an evangelical free church seeking to honor God by making disciples that learn about, love like, and live like Jesus. Amen. And let me just give a special shout out specifically to moms. Moms, thank you for who you are. Thank you for being here. And if I can actually take the platform and say, hey, mom, if you're watching, uh, Shelly Roden, um, great woman of God, um, loves and serves the Lord even in her 80s, still going, but even more than what she has done for the kingdom of God, thank you, mom, for pointing me to Jesus. And it's likely my mom who prayed me into the ministry. So uh, for better, for worse, you can thank her. Um, one more shout out. My wife, Stacy Roden, is actually serving in the nursery today, and man, it's just spot on for the kind of woman of God that she is. On Mother's Day, she is the mother par excellence. And so she's holding your babies and serving well, and I will say this, uh, we love our children, and while Jesus Christ gets the glory, my wife Stacy gets much of the credit. Meaning... Who they are today has more to do with her than it does with me. Because of who I know her to be and her impact in them, she is an awesome mother and now an awesome grandmother. So listen, um, parenting is tough. And we've got some heartbreak stories in our church, maybe in your own household. Bringing children up in the faith such that they will own the faith. Not just a religious culture, but they will actually own Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior. But not just as their own personal Savior, but actually come under and live out under his Lordship. It's always been tough, but now more than ever. Uh, Tyler Hurst is actually in, a, in a Dallas, the Dallas airport right now. He's um, heading to his final week of his Ph.D. residency. Uh, so we can all say hi to Tyler. He'll probably listen to the podcast eventually. He'll be back next week. But he gave, yeah, someone said it. Hi, Tyler. Um, he he's slid this across my desk this past week, and it's a book by the Barna research institute uh the one that he sold not george barna up in phoenix now but this is david kinnaman uh they published the findings of of their research on a new study in 2019 it's published in a book called faith for exiles and this is what the barna group says about raising children today in north america say today nearly two-thirds of all young adults who were once regular church goers have dropped out at one time or another. That's 64%. Our contention is that today's society is especially and insidiously faith-repellent. Certainly, God's people have weathered hostile seasons in in the past. Church history reminds us that living faithfully has never been easy. But our research shows that resilient faith is tougher to grow today using 
the cultivation methods we once relied on throughout the 20th century. So we know that it's always been difficult. We, we know that not every generation of kids raised in Christian households embrace the faith. But it's not just the kids in our own personal households. There's also this, this lens of considering the local church. And in the local church, we need to think of it this way. Because you know what? There's some people that don't get married. There's some people that get married and don't have children. And there's a broader family of God going on here in the local church that I like to describe as all of us to all of them. And both are important. Parents in a household, but also spiritual aunts and uncles, cousins, brothers and sisters in a local church. And both of these are tremendously important. Today, the question that leads us into the book of Joshua is this. Will we, together and individually, pass along our faith as well as the keys to the kingdom of God to a new and upcoming generation? Here's another way to ask that question. Is our faith the one that they see in us personally, but the one that they see in a church culture is our faith worthy of emulation? Uh, is our faith compelling? And this is really at the heart of not only today's sermon, but the reason why we chose a study in the Old Testament book of Joshua. Now, last week I only got halfway through the sermon, and that's okay. Um, but just to remind you, uh, Joshua 3 and 4 make up one literary unit. I'm not going to go back and reread all of chapter 3. What I am going to do is give you a flyover of Joshua chapters 1 through 3 and then read chapter 4 and then unpack some of the teaching, hopefully uh, to a point of life transformation. So here's the retelling of Joshua 1 through 3. Moses has died. Uh, in fact, this is fascinating. There's a seamless storyline from the end of Deuteronomy into the beginning of Joshua. Seamless. And in Joshua chapter 1, it says that now Moses had died. Joshua has been commissioned. That's Joshua chapter 1. Chapter 2, spies sent only two this time, rather than the 12 40 years before. Two spies are sent in to check out Jericho. Rahab is converted and hope given to her and her whole household in Joshua chapter 2. We're now into Joshua chapter 3. It's time to move toward the Jordan River from a, a camping spot called Shittim. The priests are instructed to carry the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark is the symbol of God's presence among the Jews. The priests are instructed and the people are instructed to stay at least a half mile away from the Ark of the Covenant. This is for two reasons. One, the holiness of God. They don't want anyone to blunder into the ark and touch it and die. But secondly, this would allow maximum exposure. The maximum number of Jews could actually see the priests carrying the ark. The people are then instructed to consecrate themselves. 
Because the next day they're going to see the wonders of God himself. The priests with the ark go first. They go into the midst of the, of the raging flood waters. This time of year, it's very clear, it's a parenthetical statement that we are not supposed to miss. But the Jordan flows about a mile wide at this time of year. And it's a jungle. It's a raging water and, and salt cedar jungle. Dangerous. Treacherous. As the priests go first and their feet hit the waters of the Jordan, the waters stand up in a heap some 18 miles away in a city called Adam. 18 miles away and the waters dry up and the priests stand in the midst of the Jordan River on dry ground. And three to five million Israelites pass through the midst of the Jordan riverbed. This brings us up to the next part of this story. Because last week we left you right there halfway through the river. This is what chapter 4 says. You'll see the words up there and uh, can follow along. When all the nations had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua... Take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. Verse 8, And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded, and took up twelve stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged, and laid them down there. And Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and there are there to, they are there to this day. For the priests bearing the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished, that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. The people passed over in haste. I highlighted that in my manuscript because that is the exact same language as the Passover from the Exodus that they were to move out in haste. We also discovered last week this actually took place on the Passover, signaling a bigger story. That was last Sunday. Verse 11, When all the people had finished passing over, the ark of the Lord and the priests passed over before the people. Jumping forward two verses to verse 14. On that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him, just as they stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. And the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests bearing the ark of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, Come up out of the Jordan. 
And when the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priests' feet were lifted up on dry ground, the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. Verse 19. The people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month. That's how we know it was spot on the Passover. And they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, What do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Now last week I mentioned why an Old Testament Jewish book We, very few of us, are actually ethnically or religiously Jews. And the answer is given in the New Testament, both the Greeks and Romans. Uh, For instance, Romans 15.4, whatever's written in the former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures we may have hope. We are supposed to read and study and understand these Old Testament accounts. They are good for our Gentile Christian walk with Christ, or if you happen to be ethnically Jewish and now you're a Christian, we call that uh, a completed Jew or a Messianic Jew or just a normal Christian, whatever you want uh, for your title. But we are supposed to read back all of the law and the prophets, the 39 books of the Old Covenants. So we are reading this for our own uh, Building up an encouragement because what comes next, we're going to need it. We're going to need the endurance. We're going to need the encouragement. We're going to need the hope. So we want to look back into this account. Now last week, as I said, we looked at the meta-narrative. Because there's several things in the text that signal we're supposed to be looking at other times and places. And a symbolism of God delivering human beings from the flood waters of judgment. And we will certainly remember that today as we uh, un- unpack this text. But today, we want to actually, instead of zooming out, we want to zoom in on the real life journey of faith that each member of Israel was required to take. Whether they were truly filled with faith in putting their hope In Yahweh God, we have a picture of what it looks like to walk by faith and trust the Lord. In the same bottom line as last Sunday, if you want to write it back in, it shows up in your notes again. The bottom line, same bottom line, the God who calls us into his story works for us. Again, that's he's not our genie in a bottle. He's not our Santa Claus, but he has placed his favor upon us. He's doing things even while we sleep. Someone kill that moth. It's very distracting. But look at me. Even while we sleep, 
even when we have a lapse in faith and we do something stupid that we knew we shouldn't do, God in his covenantal love for us, Old Testament word, kesed, loving kindness, New Testament word, agape, his unconditional love, he still works on our behalf as we believe, not when, but as we continue to, to walk as people of faith, sometimes better, sometimes worse. God is still faithful. Do you believe that? Okay? Yes, God's still faithful, but this morning we want to really focus in on this. God wants us, no matter how long ago it was that we received Jesus as our Savior, the Lord is delighted when we trust Him, when we look to Him, when we look to His Word, when we claim His promises, more than we obsess over circumstances. He loves it. And by the way, this is normal Christianity. This is not the gift, uh, the spiritual gift of faith in the church that only a few people have. This is the normal, everyday, down-to-earth, run-of-the-mill Christian life. That we were saved by faith, saved by grace through faith. And we're called to continue in that walk of faith. The same God that saved us from our sins and adopted us into the family of God, when we exercised faith and said, I believe and I receive, God says, good to go forever. Welcome home, son or daughter. Now walk with me. You trust me for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, can you trust me for the rest of your life? This is what Habakkuk said in Habakkuk 2.4. And by the way, here's a great example. Habakkuk says it once. He is an Old Testament minor prophet, and it's repeated three times in the New Testament. Quoted by Paul in Romans, quoted by Paul in Galatians, and quoted by the writer of Hebrews. Habakkuk 2.4 says, the righteous shall live by his faith. That if you are the righteous, this should be the normal, everyday experience. That I trust God. Life is hard. Things hurt. Things are broken. We get fired from jobs or our jobs are suffocating. Uh, marriage is difficult. So difficult, some end up divorced. Our children don't follow in the paths of righteousness. It breaks our heart. We're painfully aware of our own awkwardness and deficiencies. We think, why did I do it that way? Why did I say that? We beat ourselves up. Life is hard, but the bigger picture is, but God is faithful. Do you believe that? The just shall live by their faith. And it's not just old covenant. It's tripled in the new covenant that we are to walk by faith. Not just be saved, but live by faith faith. Now, when we come to this question, how do we pass along a living faith rather than a dead religion? How do we pass it along to another generation, whether it's our own personal genetic children and grandchildren, or whether it's in the church, you're a part of the fabric of a community of faith. How do we together Pass it along in such a manner that they go, I want to stay in this. 
What do we do? And I believe Joshua 3 through 4 answers that question. The first point, the thing that we must do, the thing that comes first is the message I wanted to preach last Sunday. I'm about to preach it now. It must be lived. It must be lived. It must be in us. And not just in our brains, defending it apologetically with with evidences and proofs and theology statements and memorized scriptures. But our hearts, our relationships, our emotions must be transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. Even coming out of damaged families of origin and being all jammed up and weird inside because of things our parents did to us. Whether they knew it or not, Jesus changes that over time. But it's not just here and here, it's in here, in in here, the way we actually organize our life, the decisions we make, the way we spend our time, the things that we do, redemptive kingdom-based activities. It must be lived. Where do I get this? Um, Well, it's throughout Chapter 3. I'm going to go back and cherry pick some things. Three ways that we see this lived out in Joshua 3. And I had an outline last week. I changed a little bit. But this must be lived. And how do you live it out? The first thing that we see in chapter 3 is this. We must keep looking up. We must keep looking up. And, And yeah, we could say eyes to heaven. And that's where we go today. But in Joshua 3, they were supposed to look up to the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant. Joshua 3, verse 3 and 4. As soon as you see, as soon as you see, and remember there's a half mile distance between the commoners and the priests carrying the Ark, so everyone, as many as possible, could see the presence or the manifestation or the symbol of God's presence. They were to look to God's presence. As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it, yet there should be be a distance about 2,000 cubits. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you should go. God is, for you have not passed this way before. In Exodus 25, we read that this rectangular wooden box plated with gold and covered with the mercy seat, two angels with with wings outstretched touching each other, represented the place where God's glory would dwell. And later on, it was associated or identified as God's footstool in 1 Chronicles 28. It was the symbol of God's presence. He was with them. No longer did they have the the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day. Now they were looking to a box. Not a magical box, not God in a box, but a symbol that God said, I'm with you. And isn't it interesting, it's when the priest carrying the box touched the water, that the water stood in a heap. They were supposed to look and remember, hey, that's just a box. It's an ornate and very sacred box. Don't touch it. But that represents the, the reality that God, Yahweh himself, said that he would be with us And that's a a picture, a depiction, a symbol. God is, in fact, with us. God promised Joshua in chapter 1, just I I was with Moses, 
so I will also be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. That was quoted in the New Testament as well. The writer of Hebrews plucked that one. Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Don't be dismayed. The Lord God is with you wherever you go. Do you believe that for your life? The Lord God is with you wherever you go. Did you know that Jesus said, for lo, I am with you always? Even to the end of the age? Do you believe that? Even better than the Ark of the Covenant. But we must keep looking up. We've got something better than the Ark. We have not a symbol of God's presence. We have Emmanuel. You know what the name Emmanuel means? God with us. Can I take you a little bit forward in, in the redemptive plan of the ages? And the reason why we re read John 1, this is fascinating. Didn't have time to really develop it. It'll still be shallow today. That's a pun because it's in the river. It's the baptism of Jesus of Nazareth. I've looked at the maps. Best I can tell, this is in the same one-mile stretch of river, if not the exact spot where Jesus gets baptized. The Levitical priests are actually bearing up uh, a symbol of God's presence. Did you know who John the Baptist's dad was? Zacharias, or Zachariah. He was an active-duty priest. And that makes John the Baptist the son of a priest. That makes him of the priestly line. And he is in the middle of the Jordan, holding not a symbol of God's presence. He is holding Emmanuel. In his arms, in the same spot, Jesus reenacts this. He comes from the east side into the river to be held by the son of a priest. Only this time, the waters do not stand in a heap 18 miles upriver. This time, the waters of the Jordan flow over him, signifying what kind of death he would die in order to pay for our judgment. Look to him. Look to Jesus, the one who says he's with you. Hebrews 12, verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Keep looking up. Get your eyes off your circumstances and look to Jesus. Look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Keep looking up. Secondly, keep looking in. Keep looking in. There are those that say, oh no, don't look in. You know what you will find. A sinful heart. Well, you violated the scriptures by saying that kind of thing. Yes, look to Jesus. But that is not mutually exclusive from looking inward. Look inward. And these can happen in either order. Look to Jesus and then look inward and do some internal work. Or you're looking inward going, I don't like what I see. Look to Jesus. Either way, we must do both. Where do we get that? In Joshua 3, verse 5, Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves. It means to be set apart, to be, to be holy. That doesn't come without some internal investigation work. And confession of sins and repentance of sins. You cannot consecrate yourself without looking inward. 
Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. The word for consecrate is kadash, or kadosh. It's the word for holy. has the idea of to prepare, to dedicate, to be set apart, to be separate. And there are times that the scripture calls for us to slow down and look within. Last week it fit nicely in the sermon because we were going to actually have communion. So this is plucked out of Paul's communion text. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. Let a person examine himself. Not the one sitting next to him or across the aisle. Self. Let a man or woman examine himself. Why are we so afraid to do that? We're not very good at it, are we? But to slow down and to acknowledge, I'm a bonehead. I'm a rascal. The things that I say and do and think that they're appropriate, they are not appropriate. And so to be sad before God is okay. It doesn't kill me. To talk about it with someone, it's scary because I might say, yeah, I'm sad I said this thing. And the person I confess it to say, yeah, I saw that too. That was really horrible. I'm like, oh, no. But it doesn't kill me. It's good for me. Because how can I repent, how can I confess sins if I don't take some time to evaluate self? How can I appreciate the God who saves if I cannot see and acknowledge, yeah, I'm a rascal. And it's getting, it's getting long in the day and I'm still a rascal. Dear God, I love Paul's statement, who will deliver me from this body of death? It's 18 years into his walk with Christ. And he's still grieving the kinds of things he thinks and says and does. The, the great apostle, who will deliver me from this body of death? He's taking some time to look inward. But do it in light of God's word. Chapter 1, verse 8. God said, this book of, this, of the law shall not depart from your mouth, Joshua. You shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success don't just look in do it in light of god's word keep looking up keep looking inward in light of god's word and then when you find sin brokenness deficiency say it that's all the word confess means just say it and then make some better choices going forward as much as you are able and plead the lord Dear, dear Lord, make me more like Jesus, because that's the work of the Holy Spirit that happens. God works for us as we believe, working behind the scenes to change us from within. Things that were once unthinkable um, are now normal, and things that were, were uh, are unthinkable become unthinkable. God just starts to change things in us. Ask for that, and watch God change you. So it must be lived Keep looking up, keep looking inward, and then keep setting out. Keep setting out. This is back to chapter 3. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan, with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, they're supposed to follow along, they're supposed to move, they're supposed to act. It includes not just the head and the heart, but the feet. That we're actually taking risk, we're actually taking steps of obedience there's real life volition to this. Choices that we make. 
with our lives and our energies and our resources. This is the life of faith. This is how it is to be lived out. Normal Christianity. We don't want to just be people who go to church. We want to be the church. We don't want to be people who merely believe the gospel. We want to live the gospel. We don't want to be people who go through the Bible. We want to be people that allow the Bible to go through us. You agree? Well, not only must our faith be lived. That's last week's sermon. I got a, another short sermon to finish us today. How does a faith get passed along? First, it's got to live in us. Real time in us. Head, heart, hands. But secondly, we must, it must be passed along to those behind. That's the whole point, right? How do we pass on this living faith? I love this. Going up to, to jo Joshua chapter 4. Happens two times. Here's the first one. Verse 6 through 7. When your children ask you in the time to come, what do these stones mean? Then you talk about what God did. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. So here's the, the questions. What, what are your memorial stones in your own journey of faith? Journey Church, what are our memorial stones as a church, the things that God has done in, through, and around, and for this church? You know what I think? It's, it's the stories we tell. The stories we tell. Because we're not building stacks of rocks. God didn't tell us to stack up rocks. It's okay that Joshua stacked up rocks. We're stacking up stories of God's faithfulness. Changed lives. Healed marriages. Children returning home. Prodigals running back to the Father. These are the stories we tell. The way God showed up in our finances when we were trying to honor him and we lost the job and we didn't know how we were going to make ends meet and somehow we look back and go, how did that work? God showed up. He was faithful. These are our memorial stones. Here's the question. First point, it must be lived. Are our lives compelling enough? Is our church experience dynamic enough that our children are asking the question what do these stories mean why do you get so passionate and emphatic about the stories dad because jesus is life because the gospel is everything that you should set your hope on the living god and not dead things of this world our children should ask what do these stones, what do these stories mean? You protest, say, I don't have any biological children. I've always already sort of covered this. But I want you to, to understand and know, this is not only about your biological children. You belong to a local church, or you should. That your life, your stories, your memorial stones, even if you don't have physical offspring, there should be children in that extended family of faith saying, tell me more about that story. I'm impressed that some of my kids, without me knowing, take some of you out to lunch. You took who out to lunch? Wait a second, that guy's my friend. What are you doing taking him out to lunch? Want to know his stories. 
I want to know what, how God moved you from here to there. Our kids should be doing that, and you should be available for that kind of storytelling session. Because we belong one to another in the local church. I already read this in the prayer. Um, from my quiet time last week, I sat right, and you should go back and read all of Psalm 78. It tells all of this theology, biblical theology, and the whole point of passing on a living faith to a new generation. Psalm 78, will you read it? Yeah, go back and read it, but especially verses 4 through 7, we will not hide them from our children. Hide what? The acts of God, the stories of faith. We will not hide them from our children, but tell them to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders he has done. Verse 7, so that they might set their hope on God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. We want to pass it along. I came across another study this past week that I think is going to be interesting. This was done by LifeWay Research and published in 2017. I, I, I always really care about published dates now. So much has changed in the last couple years that a lot of books, like studies that were done in 2015, 14, I'm like, ah. But if they were done more recently, I love COVID or post-COVID. This is pre-COVID. But I think it's still valid. Jana McGrudger wrote the, the findings of this study in a book called Nothing Less, Engaging Kids in a Lifetime of Faith. She interviewed 2,000 parents who have children now ages 18 to 30 to try to understand uh, correlation and even causation of what happens, what takes place in the household that has the greatest bearing on influencing the children to own the faith. And so this is a, a sociology study, but it's, it's faith-based and trying to look, what were the practical, tangible things that we could see in research? I love this stuff. And this is what, this is what she found. The children saw the parents doing these things. The children saw the parents doing these things. First, reading the Bible seven times, several times a week. Kids witnessed mom, dad. Whoa, they love the word for themselves. Not to study for a Bible study that they got to teach. They read it for themselves. Two, taking part in service project or church mission trip as a family. They went on a kingdom adventure together and served the Lord together. Thirdly, sharing their faith with unbelievers. Kids watch mom and dad witness to neighbors and friends. Four, Encouraging teenagers to serve in church. Listen, you're not the church of the future. You are the church right now, teenagers. Get involved. Serve. Parents should be encouraging that. I love this one. Asking forgiveness when they messed up as parents. Okay, here's the big umbrella. Do the very best you can, and when they turn 18, apologize. But you should have apologized a thousand and five times before. Because we mess up on a daily and weekly basis with our children. And they need to know that there's a humility. I've messed up again. Please forgive me. And that's more compelling than a mom or dad that's like, oh, I'm spiritual. I don't mess up. You're, you're just insubordinate. Rebellious kid. 
Go first. Show them humility and demonstrate that. Next, encouraging their children's unique talents and interests. It's not a cookie-cutter religion. It's God's brilliance in every single child. Here's an interesting one. Taking annual family vacations. What, what is that? Maybe kids need to know that, that the career, dad's career, mom's career is not an idol that takes the place of the kid in an adventure together as a family. I, I don't know. I'm making that up, but, but I, maybe a good guess. Uh, eight, attending churches with, with teaching that emphasize what the Bible says. There's plenty of churches that miss the Bible. They're all over. And then finally, teaching their children to tithe. Be generous. You go first. And you demonstrate that and challenge your kids whenever they start making income or an allowance. Say, hey, think about, think about giving a portion of that to the Lord. And why do I read this and, and hearken back to these memorial stones? They're supposed to ask. And we're supposed to have God's stories to tell and pass it along intentionally not just to our own biological children, but to our church's children, all of us, to all of them, amen? And here's final, final. Not only is it to be passed along to those behind, it must be proclaimed to those beyond. Where do I get this? Look at verse 21 through 24. He said to the people of Israel, when your children ask in the times to come, he's repeating this, this thing. What do the stones mean? Then you let your children know. Israel passed over on this Jordan on dry ground, for the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you to pass over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us when it was our turn. God did the same for you that he did for us. Why? Verse 24. So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. God was always after the nations. Not just the Jews. He was always after all the nations. And he wanted to do some things in and through the Jews so that all the nations would look not to the Jews, but to the God of the Jews. There's salvation in no one else. There are, is no other God than Yahweh, God. That you may fear the Lord your God forever. Yes, our children are precious. How sad to reach the world but to miss our children. But it rarely happens that way. When we bring our children on mission to reach the world, it rarely happens that way. We rarely miss our children when we bring them on mission with us as a church to reach the world. And one of the most effective ways to reach our own children is to bring them into this story George Hunter, friend and colleague now, said this, churches that do a better job reaching outsiders typically do a better job at reaching their own children. Research-based. Churches that do a better job reaching outsiders typically do a better job of reaching their own children. Lyle Schaller said one, one characteristic that every, nearly every growing congregation has in common is an active evangelistic emphasis which has its most important expression in the laypersons. And then William Temple, Bishop of Canterbury, said the church is the only institution that exists primarily for the benefit of those who are not its members. That's why God leaves us here on earth. Yeah, we practice worship. 
we practice relationship, we practice prayer, but we're left behind to share the gospel. And these are the famous last words of Jesus. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Journey Church, guests, friends, let's live it out. Let's pass it along to those behind and let's proclaim it to those beyond. Father, thank you so much for calling us into your story. What a gift that you didn't just save us from our sins and save us from lives of futility and chasing idols. Like a dog chasing its tail, only to find out that it's empty and meaningless and we all end up buried in a box. How great it is that you've saved us from futility and called us into mission to join you in the greatest work, your redemptive plan of the ages. Thank you for giving us opportunities to walk and live by faith. Lord, help us to to love you with our mind and our heart and our our, uh, decisions better. Help us to pass along a living faith to our children, but also to proclaim it to the nations. Help us be one of those churches. We pray it in Jesus' name together. Amen. Thank you for listening to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We'd love to have you join us in person on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. You can find out more about us at journeyefc.org.